I'll be reading Romans 8, 28 through um, 30. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. For God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become like his son, so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And having chosen them, he called them to come to him. And having called to them, he gave them right standing with himself. And having given them right standing, he gave them his glory. Thank you. You can be seated. All right. Well, what is up again? Good morning again. Good to see you uh, again for the second time, I guess. Good morning. Yeah, glad the feeling is mutual. It's great to be here. Kind of turn it all around right now. I'm going to bring this stuff up. Um, hey, what she just read, man, this is the passage in Romans where you kind of start talking about words like like foreknew and, and predestined. And so it's the moment that you have all been waiting for, all three of you who geek out about that kind of stuff or not. Um, no, it is a really exciting chapter, and Romans is an awesome book. But today it is almost like you can't really separate it from last week's because last week was the beginning of Romans chapter 8 and the week before that was Romans chapter 7 where we talk about this struggle with sin. And so let me recap just the past three weeks because they all go hand in hand. Romans 7 is the struggle with sin and we all struggle with sin. Why do we do the things that we don't want to do and why do we not do the things that we do want to do? You follow me? Yeah, yeah, you're following me. That's a really hard thing to say. I had to practice that a lot. But that's Romans 7, and Paul is saying, hey, I struggle with sin, church. I still struggle with this. We still struggle with sin, and we still sin. But Romans 8, Gary, last week, he, he dived into Romans 8. Dived, dove? He dived in? Yeah, dove. It just kind of depends on who you are, you know? No. But he did. He went into Romans 8, and it's all about how we fight. How do we fight? Man, it's by living according to the Holy Spirit who is now within us. If you are a believer in Christ, the Holy Spirit has come to dwell within you, and now you have the power to fight sin, to say no to sin, and to walk according to what God has revealed to you because you have the Holy Spirit. That's how we fight, by living in and with and by and according to the Holy Spirit. And today... Man, we've covered the struggle. Now there's the fight. Today is take heart. Man, take heart, Christian. Take heart, soldier of Christ who's constantly fighting. Take heart, be assured, because Jesus is holding on to you. I know the fight is hard, but Jesus is holding on to you and Jesus is with you. That is what today's message is really gonna be about, about God who is with us. And, and before we dive in just to the last 11 verses of Romans chapter eight, the way I wanted to start today was by um, just looking at some of my favorite church signs that I've ever seen. And, and it's going to make sense in a little bit uh, once I get to where I want to go. But I want to talk about some church signs. You know what I'm talking about. Like you drive down the church signs and you see these hilarious, hilarious, right? Sometimes they make you cringe a little bit. But a lot of times they're hilarious. I used to cut grass a ton um, a couple years ago. I would do that full time. And, and the highlight of my day was either seeing a church sign or going home. Um, but, but I loved the church signs, okay? And so I'm just gonna share just, just a couple of my favorite. Okay, here's one that's just so clever. Social media has not made the lame walk, but it has made the dumb speak. <laughs> like playing words, you know. Gossips are like old shoes. The tongue never stays in place. 
Well, it's for some of you, actually. I'm serious. <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. I heard it. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> hey, okay, this is really funny. And I said this to the tech team. I hope you guys laugh because they didn't laugh at all this morning when I was sharing these with them. Here we go. Adam and Eve, the first people to not read the Apple terms and conditions. That's funny. Yeah, you know. You know that it's funny. That's hilarious, guys. That's hilarious. All right, and then this one is my favorite of all time um, because it just, it is, it is so bold. Like, I cannot believe that, that they went this far. Um, but I laugh every time I think about it because of how bold it was. It was in the middle of summer, okay? It's like blazing hot outside. It's July or August, middle of summer, super hot. And their church sign said, so you think it's hot now? <laughs> like... <laughs> oh my goodness. And so then I got saved the next day, actually. <laughs> it's crazy. Well, I was driving two months ago. I had turned right out of church. I think I was going to go pick up like a Little Caesars pizza or something for lunch. And uh, turned right. And about two miles down the road is Red Oak Methodist Church. And uh, they had this one up for a while. But they had a church sign. And this is what it said. And this is serious. They said, to be almost saved, to be almost saved, is to be completely lost. To be almost saved is to be completely lost, meaning there's no such thing as being almost saved. Like you almost made it. It's like, it's like in a ball game or really any type of game. You know what the difference is between almost winning versus winning? Losing. Yeah, <laughs> losing. It's still called losing these days. But it is. And that's, that's harsh, but that's the difference, right? And there's no such thing as being almost saved. And you're either saved or you're completely lost. There's a Christian artist, Christian music artist. His name is Paul Balash. And uh, he has a song called Our God Saves. It's a little bit older now, but the chorus goes, Our God saves, our God saves, there is hope in your name. Can you imagine if we sang a song like this on a Sunday morning? Like, our God almost saves. Our God gets really close to saving, almost there. There is slight hope in your name. As this is the theme of today's message, man, and really of Romans 8, when we get this assurance as God's people that God is holding on to us, this is, this is the theme that I want you to hold on to. God doesn't almost save. God doesn't almost save. He saves. Over and over again in Scripture we see He saves. He saves. Why do we need to get this into our heads? Man, why do we need to know this for today that God doesn't almost save, but he saves? Because we as Christians, it is a guarantee from Jesus himself, will face much trouble and troubling circumstances and stressful situations and long seasons in this life. We will. Man, and sometimes those things are our own fault. It's a result of things that we choose to do. And so we get into a bad situation. Maybe it's the result of us choosing to give in to sin. And so now we are in this messy situation, bad circumstances. But sometimes sometimes a bad situation is just the result of something that happens to you. And you're not at fault, but it's just something that happened whether it's a medical diagnosis, some disease, or it's abuse, and death of a family member, maybe betrayal, someone close to you betrayed you, and you get in this huge and messy and hurtful situation, and it's not your fault, 
Man, but we get in these horrific circumstances. And they can leave us wondering this. I've asked these questions to myself. They can leave us wondering, man, am I going to make it? Or am I really saved? Have I just been faking it this whole time because I'm sinning now again? Have I come all this way just to fall or fall again? Man, what a wretched man that I am. That's what Paul says in Romans 7. What a wretched man. What a wretched person that I am. And yet it's wrestling and resonating with our same thoughts, our very real, very deep emotions that Paul writes the glorious content that makes up Romans chapter eight. It's like the favorite chapter of so many people. So many people, this is their favorite chapter in the Bible, Romans eight. You're gonna recognize so many of the verses that we read today because, oh, because they, we hold them up. We champion these verses. Paul's wrestling these very real and very deep emotions when he writes this glorious chapter. And in Romans 8, we get a view of our God who doesn't almost save people, but our God who actually saves people. And so we're given truth to cling to in the midst of present circumstances, present sufferings, present troubling situations. So we're going to start in verse 28, Romans 8, 28. How many of you already know this, Romans 8, 28? Like, yeah, this is the verse. Like, if you're a Christian, there's probably like John 3, 16, and then I would say Romans 8, 28. This is what it says. We know in all things, and just know, if you've read Romans chapter 8 up to this point, then you know that the context here is especially alluding to, to bad and hard things. Okay, all things, bad and hard things. We know in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Not God is able to. God is able to work for good occasionally, or God works some things. God will try working most things. But in all things, God does indeed work for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose, especially those hard and troubling things. Nothing is a curveball to God. Do you know that? Nothing surprises God. Like we get surprised all the time. We're not expecting certain things to happen to us or, or necessarily the consequences we get for certain things. We're not necessarily expecting that, but nothing surprises God. Nothing is a curveball to him, man. He's not in heaven thinking, ah, I almost had them. If it wasn't for that time back in 97, they would be here. He's not thinking that. Man, if, if you love God, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, if you love God, he works that time in 97, whatever that time in 97 was, he works it for your good. If you love God, he doesn't almost save, almost. No, he saves. He says this, we continue in verse 29. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son, that Jesus might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. So the truth in this verse is, is great. This is a great passage, but let me tell you this. Christians throughout the past 2,000 years have been trying to qualify what this verse means when you see words like foreknew and predestined here, okay? 
Has any has anybody ever? Um, let me just ask this question that I never thought I would ask on stage. Um, has anybody ever heard of the words like Calvinism and Arminianism? Let me see. Yeah, hands. Now keep your hand raised if you are at. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I don't want to ruin any friendships today. Uh, so. <laughs> hey, no. Here's the thing. People have been trying to qualify really just what the word, what is, what is the word foreknow, foreknowledge, God foreknew. What does that mean? And really like throughout the ages, we, we've seen kind of like two options that, that people choose. I think it means this option or, or maybe it means this one. And, and they fall kind of in either one of those, those camps, like the Arminian or, or Calvinism, depending on what option you choose. And I'm going to cover them right quick, but then I'm going to answer, um, is it important which option? And so let's cover the two options for that word foreknew. God, God foreknew. So one option is to understand it like this. God, at the beginning of time, before, before creation, really even before time, God, before anything was created, because he's God, he knows who will respond to him. He knows who will act in what ways, how they will act. He knows all things And so God knows who will respond to him, and therefore those are the ones that he predestines to be conformed to the image of the Son. So that's that's one option. So it's saying those God foreknew would respond to him in faith. Those are the ones that he predestines to be conformed to the image of the Son. So there's one option, okay, for how you interpret the word foreknew or qualify it. And then another option is this, that word know, foreknow, God foreknew. Um, that word know is, is often associated, um, and it can be translated as, as like chose or this intimate relationship as, as like love. So it would be like for those God foreloved or forechose before the creation of anything, for those God forechose, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. And let me just say this, man, there are Christians, strong Christians that are way smarter than me that have produced ton of fruit in their lives that are on both sides of that. Man, and people have switched and they have argued like crazy and yet they are believers, strong believers. But those are the two options people have looked at for that word foreknow for, for, for like centuries, for thousands of years. And really there's, there's a third option. There's a middle way, which sounds very Buddhist. Um, but, but there's a third option that we discuss in detail in uh, the podcast. And I'm not going to tell you here so that you can go and listen to the podcast later today. But, but here's the thing. Oh, man. Here's the thing. Is it important that we pick one of those options and, and how important is it that like we're confident about what we pick, you know? Is it important? Um, probably because it's, it's in scripture. It's a verse, you know? We should, we should know what we believe about it. But regardless of which option you choose, of which kind of camp you lean to, the implications for this verse are uber clear. I don't think I've ever said uber out loud. I think I just use a super, but uber clear. They are uber clear. Listen, God wholly saves people, like holy, like W-H-O-L-L-Y. God does not partly save you. He doesn't save you halfway. God wholly saves people. He's the author and perfecter of our faith is what Hebrews says. He's the beginning, middle, and end. He doesn't leave us stuck in limbo somewhere. Like he doesn't call you and you respond in faith and then he doesn't justify you. Like that's not God. He doesn't justify you and say, you're good. You, you have right standing with me now. And then he just leaves you in the grave after you die. No, he will glorify you. He is a whole way God. He will, he will call you and justify you and glorify you. 
It doesn't save you partway. And God wholly and completely saves. God doesn't halfway save. God completely saves. We are continually being confident of this, that he who began a good work in us will also carry it on to completion to the day of Christ Jesus, our Lord. That's our confidence. So God doesn't halfway save, he completely saves. The one who predestines us to be conformed to the image of his son graciously calls and justifies and glorifies. He's a whole way God, not a halfway God. You know, I was listening to um, some music the other day and, and listening to an artist, and a Christian artist, and, and, and one of the songs, he had this line. He said, at the end of all of my best, God, I come, you've done the rest. And it was a really catchy song, you know, at, at the end of all my best, God, I come, you've done the rest. And I'm like, See, you've done the rest, you've done the rest. And then, like, as, I, as it's stuck in my head, I start thinking about that line, at the end of all my best then you do the rest. Like, it's actually a faulty theology. Like, I don't know if you caught that when I first read it and you were like, I'm about to leave this church, but, but it's a faulty theology because God does not tell us to give it our best shot. Like, we're not supposed to give it our best shot and then God just does whatever's left over. He, he like makes up the difference. God doesn't tell anyone, hey, give it your best shot. I'll make up the difference. I'll do whatever's left over. That's for me. No, either the cross Either the cross of Jesus Christ is sufficient or it needs something. Either it's the cross of Jesus or it's the cross plus me adding something to it. As God doesn't do whatever's left over, man, he does it all. And he initiates salvation and he brings it to completion. God doesn't meet us halfway. Man, think the story of the prodigal son. God doesn't meet us halfway. The father in that story, as soon as he sees his son, he runs halfway to meet him. No, he runs all the way to meet his son and he walks with him the whole journey home. God doesn't meet us halfway. He runs all the way to where we are and goes with us the whole journey heavenward. And but the difference, the difference between that human father and the prodigal son story, the difference between a human father with human eyes versus our heavenly father is that God is never far from each one of us. Never far from each one of us. Though we run because we've sinned, though we hide because we've sinned, our God is ever seeing, he's ever present. We don't start the journey toward God, and eventually God sees us and runs to us. We have but to turn, and he's there. Indeed, God has been there. He starts the journey with us. And there's this brilliant uh, lady who wrote a, a huge uh, book on, on Romans and commentary on Romans, and she says this in it, uh, commenting on this verse. What God begins, God also completes. God initiates salvation as well as carries it out to its fulfillment. And so we can lean wholeheartedly. Man, lean with your full weight on that truth that Paul proclaims that we know in all things, God works for the good of those who love them. Man, lean on it. Because just as God has initiated your salvation, it doesn't matter what hard things come your way, he's gonna use it to carry your salvation to its fulfillment. God will not almost save you, God will not partly save you or halfway save you. God saves. 
And so this truth, man, it it urges Paul to ask this bold question, ask this bold question in his letter to the Romans. He says, who will bring a charge against those God has chosen? Who will accuse them? Who will accuse those God has chosen? It's God who justifies. Man, he's daring somebody to bring an accusation against him, against God's people. Who will do it? Because it's God who's justified me. God, the creator of the universe, he's justified me. Are you going to accuse me? Who is it that condemns Christ Jesus who died? More than that, you know Christ Jesus did more than just died? Christ Jesus who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. So there's some uh, great truth packed into these questions and these very short answers Um, And the church back then would have heard Romans as a whole. We're splitting it into sections to preach it in sections. They would hear it in one sitting. And so they would know, they'd be able to connect the dots. And so let me bring a dot forward back from Romans 4.25. Romans 4.25 says, Jesus was raised to life for our justification. Being justified, man, it means you have right standing with God. It means you are declared innocent. Despite all your sins, you have been justified in Jesus Christ. You are declared innocent. The punishment that was on you is now off of you. It was put on Christ. You are declared innocent. And so naturally, like we often think of the cross as that decisive moment of justification. The cross is that decisive moment of justification. For in the cross, we have forgiveness of sins. In the cross, the punishment for sin was taken away by the cross. Jesus took our punishment and put them on himself all by way of the cross. But this verse is saying, Jesus Christ was raised to life for our justification. We need the cross, but we also need the resurrected Jesus. Why? Because we still sin. Anybody still sin? Oh, thank you. Hardly anybody raised their hands for a service. <laughs> I may feel really alone right there. <laughs> we need the resurrected Jesus because we still sin. And Satan, known as the accuser, will bring accusation upon accusation against us. Every time we sin, even when we don't sin, he accuses us from things we did in our past, trying to make us feel guilty about things that the cross has covered. He brings accusation upon accusation against us to try and disprove and disqualify and bring doubt to our salvation. Man, have you ever felt that? You ever sinned and and you're just beating yourself up and you're assailed by these lies of the enemy saying that, that we're nothing, saying you've just been faking it this whole time, saying you're not really saved. There's no way you're really saved. Accusations from the enemy to try and disprove and disqualify and bring doubt to your salvation. But where Satan, where Satan accuses, the now resurrected Jesus intercedes on your behalf. That's why we need a resurrected Jesus because we have an accuser constantly accusing us and yet Jesus stands, stands before us. And you know what interceding means? It means he's constantly pointing at you. He's constantly pointing at me. He's constantly pointing at us. And he's saying, no, they're good. They're good. They are still good because he's pointing at his cross and saying, there is where I have made them good. They are still good. This cross is sufficient. 
That's interceding, constantly pointing at you and saying, despite your sin, despite having messed up again, you are still good because my cross is sufficient for you. Where Satan accuses, man, Jesus intercedes so that he is able to save completely, not partly, not halfway. Jesus is able to save completely those who come to him. So that God will not be separated from those he saves. Man, let that truth hit you. God will not be separated from those he saves. Now, if God's salvation (laughs) required us to make our way to meet him in the middle, Man, there is a host of things that could separate us from him. Man, imagine maybe God came to the end of that rug, okay? And this rug is lava. Floor is lava. Wow, disappointing again. Okay, I was expecting a lot of feet to do this. But, but imagine, imagine God was willing to meet me halfway and this rug just represents all uh, of the things in life that we're going to experience, good and bad, things that could potentially distract us uh, because of their goodness, but things that could just get us way off track because of their badness, cause us to doubt the goodness of God. Maybe God was willing to stand just on the other side of that rug. If he was a God that met us halfway and there is a host of, of things that could separate me from him along the way that could get me coming this way or going back this way or even turning back around a host of things. That's not our God. And our God starts here and then he comes and he crosses the barrier, crosses the chasm. He comes exactly to where you are and then arm around you. He makes the whole journey heavenward with you. Look at what Paul says, Romans 8, 35. Who shall separate us from the love of God? Who shall, answer this to me, okay? Who shall separate us from the love of God? No one. What shall separate us from the love of God? Nothing, nothing shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword. No, nothing No one, because God comes to where we are and then he walks with us the whole journey home. It doesn't mean that that none of this stuff that we're gonna experience is gonna hurt. None of it's gonna hurt. I've got God with me. It doesn't mean that none of this stuff matters that we experience along the way. No, it matters. Let me ask this question. What can stand up against God? Man, who can stand up against God? Nothing, nothing. And really the only reason that these hurts will end up mattering is because they become a powerful testimony to witness to God's goodness, faithfulness, and power to bring us through it. God will not be separated from those he loves. Man, he comes to where we are and he makes the whole journey home with us, not leaving or forsaking. And so with conviction, Man, Paul writes this, which is the conclusion of our passage this morning. Paul writes, for I'm convinced, I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. 
Paul is convinced of this. Let me say this. We have to be convinced of this too. We must be convinced of this. For if we truly believe that God works all things, especially those hard things, if we truly believe that God works all things for the good of those who love him, how then, church, how then can anything separate us from the love of God? It will only be worked for the good of those who love him, for those who are in Christ. Whether it is sickness, a scary medical diagnosis, man, financial stress, physical danger, even death is what Paul alludes to. Spiritual warfare, uncertain future, politics, leadership, powers, whatever else. Nothing in this life or in death will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. He will only use these things for our good to bring our salvation to its fulfillment as we finally reach heaven, God being with us the whole way. God will not be separated by those he saves. So take heart because God doesn't almost save. God doesn't almost save. God doesn't halfway save. He doesn't partly save. God saves you completely. And that's from Hebrews 7.25. Jesus is able to save completely those who come to him in faith because he always lives to intercede for them. So heed his call and heed his word. Trust in his word. Have assurance. Have blessed assurance that God's not just going to almost save you. No, he will save you. That God is not just redeeming part of you. God is redeeming all of you. He will bring your salvation to its fulfillment. He is trustworthy. So this morning, and I want to encourage you to trust in his word, to have assurance, to be confident that God is who he says he is. He'll do what he says he will do. But also, I want to share the gospel with you. Because the gospel is for everyone. You know that? Like the gospel is not just for unbelievers. No, once you believe, the gospel is still you. It's still food for you. The gospel is still good news for you, even after you believe. And we need to be telling it to ourselves all the time, remembering how we're saved, why we're saved. Man, I got to share the gospel just last weekend with some friends of mine that desperately need it. And you know what I realized when I shared it with them? is that I desperately need it. I'm not saved or better than them. And I need the gospel. I'm not saved without the gospel. I must have the gospel. So here's the gospel. Man, and we've already hit on so many sections of it in Romans. They call it the Romans road is how, where I'm going. <laughs> Listen, this, this is the gospel. It starts off on a highlight. Everybody has sinned. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It means all of us have turned away. Nobody's born a Christian. Man, all of us has turned away. All of us has gone astray, done what we thought we should do. All of us has considered God not worth knowing. 
decided to do things our own way. And that's sin. It's turning away from the God who gives you life and thinking that you can do it better. Sin. And the Bible says the wages of sin is death. The payment for sin is death. Death is sin's payment. That's sin's reward. And if you think about it, it it only makes sense because you're turning away from the God who, who gives you life and sustains life. If you turn away from the source of life, like what else is there? The opposite of life. There's death. The wages of sin is death. Death is sin's reward. And yet the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. God presents this gift of life and it's life forever. Why would he do such a thing for people who have turned away from him? Because God loves you. God loves me. God loves us. God is love. And Paul says this is how he demonstrates his own love for us. While you and I were sinners, Christ died for us. Man, he did not wait for us to get our act together. He didn't, he didn't go to a halfway point and wait for us to make it to that halfway point and say, all right, now I'll die for you. No, while you were a sinner, while we were enemies of God, Scripture says Christ died for us to demonstrate his own love toward us. So what do we do with that? Like, how do you respond to such a great sacrifice and a great gift? Life, life eternal. What must I do to be saved? Paul says, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that Jesus is indeed alive. He didn't just die 2,000 years ago. He is living. He is the resurrected Savior. If you confess Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that he's been raised, you'll be saved. Paul says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Anyone. And so this morning, when I have a time to respond both to the gospel and to the assurance that we have in Jesus Christ. And if that's the first time that that you have heard or understood the gospel, I want to talk to you. I want to celebrate with you. Like you're not in trouble. That sounds like you're in trouble. I want to talk to you. I want to celebrate with you. Jesus is Lord. Man, and so maybe I, I'm saying like right now, if you're responding to the gospel, then, then during this next song, I want you to come up. And, and maybe you just heard those words and you have this angst like, oh, ooh, I don't want to come up. Man, you're experiencing like this conviction, but you're trying to talk yourself out of it. Let me say this. Conviction is the Holy Spirit's work. It's not your work. Okay, you cannot convict yourself to come to Christ. You cannot convict yourself of your sin. No, conviction happens by the work of the Holy Spirit. So if you're feeling conviction, man, the question is, are you gonna follow the Holy Spirit's leading? Are you gonna follow the Holy Spirit's leading or not? Man, but secondly, man, I'm, I think probably all of us need to know and need to remind ourselves that God is holding on to us because we still sin. Sometimes we hear the accusations of the enemy that we're nothing, that we're faking it. The truth is God is holding on to you and interceding for you so that you might be completely saved. So this morning, man, if you just want to come and bow down and bless the Lord, thank the Lord for the assurance that you have in Jesus Christ, man, then come. 
we're going to sing a, a sweet hymn that I'm sure all of you will know. If you just want to come and bow down and give thanks to the Lord for, for his assurance, his trustworthiness, that he will never leave you or forsake you, and then come do that. I'm telling you, if you are experiencing conviction, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. Will you follow his leading? I'm going to pray, and then we're going to respond. Lord, God, we thank you for the gospel, for your good news. God, it's not just for when we don't believe. It's for even when we believe, we must keep telling this to ourselves that you have saved us, that we need your gospel. And God, may we accept the truth that you are holding on to us. You're not going anywhere. God, you've made the whole journey to where we were undeserving, sinful, vile. You made the journey to where we were and now you are making the whole journey heavenward with us. Lord, we thank you for the assurance we have in Jesus Christ, the assurance that your word tells us about. Lord, I pray this morning, God, we'd respond and trust in you. I pray this in Jesus' name, who saves and intercedes.